This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. Now the FIFA Women's World Cup takes place every four years and has been a fixture in the calendar since 1991, when the USA beat Norway in China. It's since been held in Sweden, twice in the USA, again in China, Germany and most recently in Canada. The Americans are the most successful side Three times they've won it, and they are in fact the most recent winners. France is the destination for 24 nations this time, and England's lionesses go with the hopes of a nation, praying they can go a step further than 2011 when they made it to the quarterfinals, and 2015 when they made it to the semis. This time, 2019, in the group stages, we face our near neighbours, Scotland, then Argentina and Japan. England have made it to four of the seven previous tournaments, and in this podcast, I've busted a gut to try and speak with players who've experienced one of those tournaments. But sadly, I've only managed three. But still, it's a great listen. Don't stop there. Coming up, I speak with Gillian Coulthard about Sweden 1995, Mary Philip about China 2007, and Claire Rafferty about Canada 2015. I'd like to thank them for their time and memories. Plus also, we'll catch up with Rich Laverty, who gives us the lowdown on the current crop, who will very soon fly to France. Before we hear those memories, I'd like to introduce you to a website I've been working on. When talking about the England women on the podcast, I tried to look back on previous results and players, and to my amazement, I'd not been able to find a website that documents all of these in one place. Sure, the FA's website has the most recent games, Wikipedia has various tournaments, other national side sites have their games against England, but there was nothing all together. Whereas the men's side, you can go back to the very first game against Scotland in 1872 and follow their timeline through to the current day on a couple of dedicated websites. So if the help of Bert Dale from historicaldons.com, we've tried our best to put this into place. It's not finished yet and will be an ongoing project, but if you can or know anyone who can help, then please do point them our way. That website can be found at englandlionesses.co.uk. Please do go take a look. Now, Sweden 1995 was the second Women's World Cup and England's first. And I'm really pleased to say we've been joined by midfielder Jill Coulthard. Hello there. Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Three Lions podcast. Glad to be here. <laughs> 1995. Can I ask you to cast your mind back that far? 
It seems a long way away, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. a very long way. Obviously, great to go to a, a World Cup and England's first, obviously, from, from a women's point of view. Obviously, excited and obviously look, was looking forward to the tournament to, to go ahead. Sweden was the destination, wasn't it? So it wasn't too far to go. What do you remember about the, the preparation for it? Um, well, we didn't have too long. You know, it's not like now what the women have got. Um, they're together for a couple of weeks or whatever. We were basically together for about three or four days. Hopped on a plane. Then we had a ferry journey, uh, arrived at the destination. And, you know, the town where we stayed, it was just all, everything was about the World Cup, obviously in Sweden. Luckily enough, you know, Sweden in my area were very, very successful, very well known for women's football. So it, it, it was, a, you know, we had a great time in that city. So were Sweden, were they, they were ready to host this? Was it well organised? Very well organised. You know, everywhere, everywhere where you went round the corner, there was posters up, there was banners up. And then obviously when we moved on to the next town, it was exactly the same. I see. Well, let's, let's crack on to the games. The 6th of June, 1995, you have got a, a special place in history, haven't you? England 3, Canada 2. Why have you got that special place in history? The first one to score in a Women's World Cup for England. You were so, indeed. Uh, and two, getting two goals as well. So, uh, yeah, really pleased with that. Um, you know, I, I don't think you realise what you've done until you've you've finished, really. So for me to have that accolade is, uh, is I'm, you know, I'm quite happy with that. So the first one was a penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, only just got in the net. <laughs> when I look at it, <laughs> when I look back on it and I look watch the video, I think, oh god, you know, it's a bit lucky there. And I think if you look at some of the expressions on the bench, I think everybody were thinking, oh, that's just gone in. And the penalty for England should be taken by Gillian Coulthard, and it's just good enough, just scraped into the corner. England lead one nil. I just crept in. Were you designated penalty taker? Yes, I was. And then obviously we could then I got brought down for, I think it was our second goal. And then Marianne Spacey obviously took that, obviously with a, a totally different attack of approach. And uh, obviously that made it 2-0. And then the third one was uh, was quite a bullet header, really, off the, uh, yeah, the six-yard box. Yeah, we had some great link-up play. And obviously I made the run into the box, back post, as, as people you used to say I rose like a salmon this is Hope Powell oh, terrific work from uh, Powell and here's the deep cross Coulthard comes in it's her second goal and with four minutes to go England's lead is extended to 3-0 what a beautifully worked goal and Coulthard on the end of it gives the goalkeeper no hope at all uh, but yeah obviously that was a, that was um, to make it 3-0 and uh, you know to score two I also remember in that game, I got a bit of a shiner, which my eye obviously closed up. So, yeah, great memories. Oh, right. I didn't realise that you'd, uh, yeah, you were in the wars. Yeah, I was, because... yeah. Well, midfield, aren't you? So you're bound to get something. <laughs> True, you bumps and bruises. Yeah, but yeah. You only had a couple of days to recover because it was two days yeah, later. that's um... right. If you look at the format in 95, you know, we played on the 6th, we played on the 8th, and then we played on the 10th. Which is, you know, when you look at it, it's a bit crazy now. Um, but things have changed, obviously for the better, really, because you, you, you know, you're going to make uh, women's football a little bit. Everybody's going to be, f obviously, fitter and fresher, and the games are going to be totally different in this area as what they were in my era. Yes. So the next game was Norway, who turned out to be the eventual winners. 
could you see that they were uh, maybe a class above or, no, or a little I think better? Always, I think all the Scandinavian teams were a class of the above. You know, when you look at the, the obviously uh, the Americans, you know, they were the unknown really team because they really didn't really play that many games as such. But yeah, I mean, they had everything. You know, the um, they had the support as well because obviously it's just across the water from from Sweden. So yeah, I mean, they looked a very very good outfit, and you know being in the same group as them and obviously losing to them in the group but to become you know the eventual winners that's uh, some accolade for them yes and you played played nations from all continents there in in the in the group games because your next game was against Nigeria again two days later um where you you got by three two there was that a different were they a different oh different dif- yeah def- definitely you know that they played different type of football to to really what the Norwegians play really to be honest we're an unknown team didn't really have much you know an analysis of what you know we were playing against because obviously again everything's in our area is totally different to what it is now so we were going into the unknown really they had no shape of 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 like a basic four four two or three five two or whatever. They just basically play football and that was it. See what so, happened. Yeah, you see what happened. So when uh, obviously we went on to to win the game by three goals to two. So that's right. Finished second in the group there, behind Norway, and you made it through to the the quarterfinals where Germany were the opposition yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> again. They always turn up regardless <laughs> of what competition. They're always yeah. there in our way. Yeah. Yeah. What do you remember about that? Um, well, again, it's, you know, a quick turnaround yet again. And obviously the Germans, obviously a strong team, strong physical, tall players, you know. And, and, and I think in the end, you know, when you look of where we came from in our area, we were, you know, we, we didn't, we haven't had the facilities of what they've got now. Everybody was still, you know, working, holding full-time jobs so fitness levels weren't as good as what they are now. So I think we really, I mean, I certainly run out of steam without a shadow of a doubt. I think I came off at half time. So, you know, when you look, when you look at the, the results and obviously they've, they've gone on obviously throughout the years of, of being the top team in, in Europe, really. Where did you find yourself after the, the World Cup there? You went back to, to Doncaster Bells? Yeah, obviously I was still at Doncaster Bells, um, you know, and then obviously as time goes on and then you reach your underth cap and then you're getting older and then, you, you know, you, you look at your own career and, and things started to change and then you, you've got to put a halt to your career. I felt it right that, you know, once I retired from England, I've obviously accomplishing 119 caps and, I thought, you know, I've 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 done my stint now, and it's it's time for the next generation to come along. Right, and I might add that you were you mentioned your hundred caps there. You were the first English female to reach that milestone, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. I've done a couple of I've done I think it's about three feats I've done really accomplished in my my career over twenty years or so. You know, first player to reach a hundred, the first one to score the goals in the ever first World Cup that England participated, and the first one to score an international goal at Wembley. So the old Wembley. So you know, there are three three things that I'm proud of. But I'm proud of everything that I've done throughout my career and, you know, the players that I played with. And without them, you know, I wouldn't have accomplished any of it, really, to be honest. That's right, because you were playing alongside the likes of, of Hope Powell. We've mentioned oh, Marianne yeah, Spacey, yeah, yeah. Debbie Bampton. Karen Walker, you know, Claire Taylor, to name but a few. 
you know, and at that time in our era, you, you, you look at the England team, and I think we took, I think it might have been five players from Doncaster Bells to uh, the World Cup. So, you know, that's not many clubs have done that. But, you know, I mean, football will always be there and the, the things that I've achieved, it's nice to talk about it now and, you know, the next generation are here and we're doing really, really well. And, you know, the she, uh, she Believes Cup, we've done really well there. And, you know, let's just hope that, you know, everything that's now in place is going to bring that trophy home that, you know, we need to do really to take it to the next level for women's football. And do you think we can do it this year? Of course think- we can. I think I think you've got to believe that, Anthony. If you, if you you just don't go there to make up the numbers, it, just like we did, you know, in '95. You look at the group thing. You think let's get out of the group first, and then you look at who you can come against, and you know, and anything then when you get into the quarters, the playoff rounds, it's it's just that 90 minutes, and I'm sure that. The players that we've got now, obviously we're at a loss, obviously losing Jordan Nobbs, but I think if you look at the players that he took to She Believes Club in Georgia Stanway and people and Kira Walsh, you know that they're going to be good deputants to step in for Jordan. And I think we have got a very, very good chance. And under Phil Neville, regardless of what people said at the beginning, he doesn't know anything about women's football. It doesn't matter whether it be a man or a woman. I think if you can get your players ticking and you get your players playing for you, and get a, a formation that you used to play and there's no reason why we shouldn't go there and thinking that we can win it. Let's hope so. And what, what are yourself are you, are you doing now? Have you, have you still got your hand in football? Um, I still go watch Bells now and again. Uh, not really. Um, when I retired, I went to work at uh, college doing 16 to 18-year-olds in the academy. I did that for 10 years and then moved back down home. And I'm just doing just, just a nice, steady job. Nice. Yeah, I studied job. But, you know, I still keep my hand in and do little things for people like yourselves and a uh, few things for radio, a few things for papers. But, yeah, I, you know, I try to keep in there because, you know, it's in you. And I see a lot of people when I go to the international games that I haven't seen for years and we talk about old times. So, you know, but I'm looking forward to, obviously, the World Cup this year and hopefully, fingers crossed, everything, you know, we get the right... Uh, we get the right draw at the end of it and we, we go on and uh, show how good we can be on that stage. Well, let's hope so. And, and I thank you for, for sharing your memories with us. Um, and if people would like to talk with you, are you open to that? Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you're, you're on Twitter with, well, I might add, one of the, the best Twitter handles I've seen, <laughs> which is The England yeah. Capped. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well done. Well, for it was. That it was. It's, it, yeah, it's my it's my uh, email address. Ah. So obviously, when I created that, which was obviously at the time when I was England captain, I've had numerous people ask if they can buy that off me because it's obviously unique. And then when I did my Twitter account, it's again relevant. Of course, yeah. So David Beckham was on the on the door. Was he asking for that one? No, actually, he's not really right in my era. I would say. <laughs> It's probably people who have been past England captains. So yeah, Gillian, thank you very much for joining that's us okay. and, and sharing your memories. Yeah, that's great, Russell. No problem. Now, capped sixty-five times and on occasions captained England and up until 2011 was the only player to appear in two England World Cup squads. 
She went to Sweden in 1995, but didn't make the pitch. 2007 in China was her time. Now, primarily a defender, but has also been known to venture into the midfield. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Mary Philip. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, let's, let's say you you were there in 1995. How was that? 95, that was a big experience for me because I'd only literally got called up for England training a couple of times, just coming new onto the scene, obviously having a good season at uh, Millwall INSs and got called up. And then comes the World Cup, I found out I was actually going to the World Cup, going in the full squad for it. I was like, wow. Uh, and as you see, that was an amazing thing. Didn't know nothing about it. Um, but my manager at Millwall at the time taught me on extra training sessions and got me ready to experience what was out there. And obviously being the youngster at the time, I only um, 18, 17, 18, weren't really expecting to go on the field. Obviously, like I said, I just got into the squad. Um, but just the experience of going out there and seeing what the international scene was all about was a great experience for me. Was it frustrating not to make the pitch? It wasn't because I didn't look at it as actually going out there and going, obviously we wanted to play football. But obviously, I was involved in all the training sessions. But like I said, I'd only just got into the squad, been to a couple of training camps and then got pulled up to go to a World Cup. That in itself was a grand achievement for me. So just to see how things work and experience um, international football, you know, that was a focus. And obviously it's stepping stones for what I actually wanted to achieve within that over the coming years. Well, let's fast forward then to 2007. And the tournament was played later in the season. And did this conflict with your club side, which I believe at the time was Arsenal Ladies? Yeah, no, it didn't conflict too much because obviously when you're playing football, well, me definitely, I just take game by game. So you just take what's rolling on. And obviously we knew we had our club season going and obviously we were having a great run there. 2007, yeah, it's just a great footballing year for me because of, at Arsenal, um, to my knowledge to this day, we are the only team, both male and female, that have ever done a quadruple. And we've done that Arsenal winning the European the League, the FA Cup, the whole lot um, on the basis of league football and then obviously getting called up again to go to the World Cup in China but having to play France and just not beating France not losing to France was our way through and that happened for the first time we didn't lose to France and we went through because they just beaten us the year or prior World Cup knocked us out and we didn't go and they went this time around it's the other way around as long as we didn't lose we were going through so out in France we had a great crowd out there we done what we had to do on the field and we went through because it was quite a qualifying campaign, there was a uh, there was a thirteen nil win over Hungary. Were you, were you part of that? I was a part of that. But that year, like I said, it was a year of great achievements within domestic football and international football. We broke a lot of records, and obviously, as a grassroots, well, still grassroots, none of us are professional, you know. So we're all playing it for the fun of the game. We got ourselves really fit. It's the fittest to me. The squads have been. I was running thirteen on a bleep test, and for me, that was like. Wow, unheard of really over the years. But knowing how big the competitions were and what we were up against the rest of the world, you want to be a part of that, not just to make a number, but to make a presence out there. So the whole squad took that on board and we all went out training and we all got ourselves extremely fit for that and it obviously paid dividends when in the domestic service as well. Now, let's say that the tournament was in China. Had you ever been to China before? I've never been to China before. Um, that in itself was just going out there would be amazing. Um, but we did go to Macau um, just before dropping off into China and experience that. And then obviously going to China itself was a bit of a change, a cultural change, just seeing how things are done and how people just in general 
move around there and there, their systems of their travel, and just how they live in the high rise is slightly different to what we live here. Yes, isn't it? I mean, they hadn't really hosted a major football tournament before. Did you notice anything different out there? I mean, obviously, say the cultural, but on the football inside of things. No, on the football inside of things, everything looked normal. Like grasses were green, they were well laid out, were all spread out. Um, obviously, travelling to and from the games may be slightly different. But apart from that, everything that had to be done to me personally on the field was done. But then again, I'm not involved in the stuff off the field. And I know experienced stuff off the field now is totally different. So I'm assuming everyone who was doing it was probably seeing all the different changes that need to be done or things that need to be picked up on. But as a player being out there, we didn't notice it. Our game was that guy out there focusing on what we wanted to do, play football and go as fast as we could. And the rest was up to those in charge. Well, let's let's start with the games. It was Group A. The first game was uh, in Shanghai and it was against Japan. What do you remember about that game? I just remember Japan's free kick um, to win it 2-2. And it's just one of those ones that it's fairly near to our, our goals. Just outside the 18 that I can remember. And just going over, going in to draw. But it was a good game. For an opening game, we didn't lose it. And that's the big one, you don't want to lose your opening game. But obviously, ideally, we would have preferred to win the game. And just put us in stepping stone for what we need to do. We know we had to go the next two games and win them to take us through. But it was a hard-fought game. Japan, very technical side, you know, and they gave us a good run out there. Um, but we held our own, and like I said, we come to the pitch with a draw. Um, and it was just unfortunate to me that we didn't do enough to take a win from that game. But their goal was good, that pulled them that draw, so... Can't take that from them either. Well, this was followed up by a, uh, another draw uh, against Germany, who were, were in fact the eventual winners of the tournament. So I guess taking a draw in hindsight from from them was uh, was good to to look back on. It was like obviously my experience playing Germany. I think I've always been on the losing end to England playing Germany, and they're like I said, they're always one of the top teams out there. And obviously, like I said, going into this tournament, all the players were as fit as they could possibly be. So we were ready for that, and we were ready to take on whatever world was coming our way. And we matched them out on that pitch, you know, hold them to a draw, take, not taking our chances that could have possibly given us a win. And vice versa, we've done enough at our end to make sure they didn't score goals. Um, but the draw from the end of that game was just deserved, and it could have gone either way. But I think at the end of it, it deserved draw at the end and the points getting shared out equally between both teams so that was two points on the board there and this was followed up by uh, a game against Argentina who, who coincidentally we play this year round yeah. back then 2007 it was quite a uh, quite a resounding victory 6-1 in, in Chengdu do you remember about that one just remember we had to go out and win that game you know we wanted to go through the next round and we know that to do that we had to make sure we put our best foot forward and we took take our chances that we haven't taken in the past couple of games and it kind of all fell into place that game team was relaxed and ready to play we went out there um, and we just knew what we wanted to do we wanted to go through and a win and it was all done us nicely but we took the six um, one at the end and the goals are coming in and as a team play from front to back we done well the front players done the midfield done their work in there and the back players and the midfield again including the key part done their job um, taking us through that season win and taking us through the next round of that competition that's right it was the quarter finals and and you played most of this game it was against uh, America in in Tianjin and it was the unfortunately where we where we bowed out lose a uh, Losing 3-0. Yeah, 
that was disappointing because um, if I can remember rightly, I remember Farrah getting booked in the Argentina game and she had to avoid the booking to be able to be playing in the US game. And Farrah is a big player, she's a big name and big character on the pitch for us. And to me, it did put a hole in there. Not saying the players coming in didn't do that same job, but for when we've been playing the same team, the same squads that we've all gelled together throughout the tournament and prior to that as well, we kind of clicked in there and knew what we were all expecting of each other. And all those players coming in, they were different characters yeah, and just left a bit of a gap in there. And we didn't click as nicely as we wanted to. And obviously, the US being one of the top teams out there again, um, we just didn't do ourselves justice out there and they took us on one that game and to, they deservedly won the game we didn't do enough within it to get a result from it um, but if we just had a couple of changes prior to actually have our full strength squad out you know could have been different but it is as it was um, and we bowed out at that hurdle to take us through to the next step but wonderful experience it was a wonderful experience you can't ever take that away from it you know but of my second World Cup, having been the first English female footballer going to a second World Cup and opened off hopefully many more females to come through going to two, three, four World Cups. You know, it was amazing. Um, but just disappointed knowing what everyone had been going through and the work rates we'd all put through to get ourselves to a level to compete and that we just didn't do enough to take ourselves that little bit further on putting ourselves firmly on that map or the progression we've made in English women's football. Well, we're talking the day after England beat Denmark at Warsaw. How do you see this summer's tournament going for Phil Neville? Well, this summer's tournament, you know, like all tournaments, people tend to look at teams and you know, just picking each team as they are, but every team in there is in there to win. They're not in there just to make up numbers, so they've all got a chance. So as long as everyone goes out there, does their job on the field and off the field, you know, they're in for a great charge. You know, the level playing fields now out there is, I'm really, you know, most of the players are professional now, so there's not an excuse in there. Like, if you could go back, what, 10 years or so, you know, it's totally different. We had some players who were professional, some semi pro, some amateur. Where today out there, it's a level playing field. So the game's going to be intense, and whoever has the best tactics out there will end up coming away winners of this game. The team that makes the least mistakes is going to be the team that comes through and goes home with that prestigious cup. Well, let's hope it's England. We're currently sitting, actually, in the dugout of Peckham Town Football Club. Uh, it's a lovely sunny day here. The sun's just going across the uh, the pitch. What's your role here at Peckham? I'm a coach down here at Peckham Town. I've been at Peckham Town um, since 2000, my Fulham days, so 2000, 2002, been down here with their youth team, their junior team working way through there but obviously the past two years I've been working on my A licence and just qualified on that so I've been working with the senior men's team the reserve team and the ladies team down here and do better things with them next year with the senior team as well hopefully gain promotion and further down the line to any other club or is it just taking it day by day it's day by day and I mean I've been at Peckham Town since we started it like since we started the youth side of it and I've been volunteered down here ever since it's just something in my football I like to be able to give back and I don't ever go out and tell the players my name's Mary Phillip I've played this is all stuff they eventually find out for themselves going, oh, you played for Arsenal you played for Fulham you played for England did you get that many caps and just expect me to be living in a big mansion and driving fast cars and like, oh, it's totally different when I was playing football to women playing football today um, but they take me as they see me, you know, they appreciate what I can say, what I'm saying to them. I'm actually teaching them stuff which they didn't know or 
tweak and stuff they did know and give them different views of how to see stuff, how to see a bigger picture out in the field. And it works both ways because, you know, they respect that because I'm not throwing it in their face of what I'm able to do. They can see that and they take on board and I get a lot of respect from it, both from the younger teams and from the senior team itself, like the men's team, it's like pretty cool. You know, getting them just standing, listening, 16 big guys in front of you and thinking, taking on board and not none of them speaking that term. You know, it's great. Great stuff. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mary, and I wish you all the very best down here at Peckham Town. Thank you very much. Hope all goes well and then roll on England for this World Cup coming through. Now, Claire Rafferty was a left-back, 18 England caps for England and also played for Team GB. And I'm glad to say she's joined us on the Three Lions podcast. Claire. Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Thank you for joining us. No worries. I'd like to speak to you about 2015 in Canada, but you had a little bit earlier experience, maybe good or bad, I don't know how you would perceive it, of 2011 yeah. when you went to Germany. I mean, that was my uh, first World Cup. I was only young, I think I was like 22 or something. So I uh, have to think think back a few years now. But yeah, we uh, we crashed out in the quarterfinals of that in, in penalties against France. Big learning curve, that for sure. <laughs> and you, you learned from that. And was that like an encouragement to, to push on for 2015, seeing that in your sights? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you followed the, the girls for a long time you, and football in general, you understand that it's, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. There's growth. And that came from previous World Cups and in particular the 2011 World Cup. I think it was probably the first year actually that the girls were on central contracts. So the game was more becoming more professional, especially at international level. And that was obviously pushed and backed by Hope and the FA. So to be honest, I think them kind of years were so pivotal for where the women's game is at now. And, you know, sometimes they say that you learn more from failing and to go out. Uh, I don't think people, you know, there wasn't anywhere near as much media coverage then. And there wasn't a great deal of expectation on England. But, you know, they reached the quarterfinal against France and took the game to extra time. And, and yeah, I think I came on an extra time because um, Tom East was a very, very quick winger. And I was obviously very young back in the day, left back. So Hope dragged me up and was like, I need you to stop uh, Tom East getting on the ball and I mean, I, I did it for the extra time, but I, could, I couldn't stop her scoring a penalty. <laughs> that was out of my control. So 2015, qualification was 100%. There were big wins against Montenegro and Turkey. But from what I can gather, you, you weren't so much part of the, yeah. the qualification. So, yeah, so I've um, had a lot of injuries. I had three ACLs and subsequently ha- ha- don't have as many England caps as people think I do. So what's happened, I've just kind of been injured and then been, been called up to World Cups. So I miss all the... Uh, <laughs> All the, not all the so hard work. Side. And then I go to go to the lovely, glamorous World Cup. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I I think I came in really late. I'd just come back from the ACL um, and Mark had, had called me up. And I think, I can't remember what game it was, but yeah, I was a late addition. And and, and I think I was playing well at that time for Chelsea. And, and obviously having kind of been in on England's books for a long time and, and being to a previous World Cup, he he saw uh, my strengths and, and thought I'd add to the team. So called me in, and yeah, I mean the rest is history. What was what was Mark Sampson like? Uh, Mark is a, a fantastic character. Yeah, obviously you know there's been some negative press around situations, which could have been dealt with better. Um, but for me, my one-to-one interactions with him, you know, they were they were great. He's a great coach and a, and a great leader, and he really 
he was the difference between winning and losing for us. You know, he really installed that mentality. And and what we did is we we played to our strengths. And you know, he he have each player, and you'd have a list of three things that you were good at, and that's what you have to get right every single game. And it's really quite basic, really, when you think about it. But that's you know, we took each game at, um, as it came, and and that worked for us. You know, we had a little bit of luck on the way, um, as you need in in cup football. But yeah, I mean, he really pushed. You know, Hope did such such you know great things for the women's game. But Mark was able to come in and capitalise from that. He was really people focused and really got the team gelled, which wasn't the case before. Everyone was you know you know always sitting in the teams, etc. You hear a lot of it about um, what Southgate has done with the men's and try mm. to gel the team, and I think that is the difference. I see. So on to that World Cup. It was. Not the best of starts, really, was it? To one 0 no. loss to France. How yeah. they always say, win your first game. They do say uh, that, and we didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How so did you react I, to that? You know, I remember um, we had a, a game plan, and, and it was going so so well. And and I think um, I can't remember who. Maybe maybe in the seab or someone scored from outside the box. It was a fa- it was a fantastic strike, but we'd kind of been absorbing their pressure for a good chunk of the game, and. Uh, you know, a shot went in, and and that was that. And and I think people kind of went, oh, there we go, same old England. And uh, and I think that is kind of how it. I think people stopped being interested from then on in until we got out of the group stages. To be honest, because we then were, I think we we just kind of got on with it. Uh, people, yeah, people just expected, that, you know, oh, you lost your first group game, that's it. You're you're not gonna progress now. But no, we really kind of we had a really good run. Well, yeah, um, you bounced back with two massively, two yeah. one victories, weren't they? Mexico and Colombia. Which yeah, I guess they are they different. Yeah, I think that's types what, you know, when, when you play European teams, it's very difficult because it's very tactically aware and astute, and you know you always end up knowing players you're playing against, and you, you know mm. you've been brought up playing against them. Um, but when you play, you know, South American teams, they're a little bit more um, chaotic and right. harder to harder to kind of predict and that unpredictability can be dangerous equally if you get your game plan right you know it's it can be well it should be quite straightforward but I think tactically they uh then they they weren't as astute um so we knew that if we kind of got a goal it would be quite plain sailing but the you know very skillful players and yeah I mean it was very much with Mark you know you're going to be marking this player don't let them get past you otherwise right. <laughs> you're not playing again <laughs> <laughs> well Moving on then, we, we made it through to the round of 16 and it was back to European opposition, Norway. And you played yeah. in that game in the round of 16. Do you remember that one? Yeah, we started really badly in the game. Um, <laughs> I do remember that and the pitch just felt massive and I just remember the world kind of... <laughs> I think I think someone did a bad back pass and they should have scored like really early on and we were really kind of up, uh, up against it. And then, yeah, we... Obviously, that Lucy Bronze goal, which absolutely got us all over the news all of a sudden mm. everyone was starting to take notice in the run of play I think that game we actually shouldn't have of won when I reflected on it you know they dominated the possession but um I mean too I think Steph scored as well yes am I right yeah. saying that yes yeah. I think Steph scored first and then Lucy took it to 2-1 and yeah the, the pure jubilation when that strike went in and I think ultimately what we had was a belief that even if we went 1-0 down we we, we still you know, had a goal in us somewhere. Right. And yeah, and I I remember uh, Jill Scott coming on and just keeping it in the corner for a good, like what felt like an eternity, just to drop right. on the clock down when we were 2-1 up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of when it 
it really started to hit home that you know wow we're we're going to be in a in a quarterfinal of a World Cup that's absolutely massive. Well, that massive game came against the hosts, didn't it? Yes, yes. Thirty-one thousand um, in the stadium there against yeah. Canada. I, I mean, mean, that was, and we were in Vancouver as well, so we'd flown um, from, can't remember where from, but we flown to Vancouver, and obviously Vancouver's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. But, you know, and it really had World Cup fever, right? The, uh, the the city, and you could kind of, as soon as we got there, you could feel the buzz. Obviously, we were playing Vancouver. We were playing Canada, sorry, and it, and I think the day before it was Canada Day, okay, or the day after. But either way, it was like this massive. You know, literally everyone you looked at was wearing Canada shirt, whether it was for the football or not. They were just <laughs> really kind of going for it. And I just remember walking out onto the onto that pitch, and it was, I think it was a closed over stadium. It was really quite weird, okay. um, and it just felt the atmosphere. It was just electric. I don't think. It sounded like there was not one English fan in there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, probably 30-odd thousand Canadian fans all in red and white cheering for their team. And and I think early on, Jody nicked the goal because they um, they made a mistake at the back. And I remember then thinking, oh, my God, this is, you know, something's happening here. We're, we're really, the luck's really for us because I remember it was quite a big mistake for their centre-back and Jody just capitalised. And then, and then I think... We scored again, and then you they did, scored. Did. Yeah, yeah. Lucy Bronze scored yeah, Lucy about Bronze three, the, three, four yeah. minutes later, and that, and they pulled another one back just before yeah, they, half so, time. Yeah, Sinclair pulled one back before half time, and I remember going in half time and just being so hyped up on adrenaline, just because of the crowd and the fact we were up, and you know, and then we just literally rode the wave again and again and again because they were coming at us, and yeah. and I think KB got had an allergic reaction to the to the um, 3G pitch in her eye. Oh. And really? Siobhan Chamberlain had to come on. So it was quite a big substitution to make. And she made like some last minute save on the line and stuff. So it was really backs against the wall. And yeah, I mean, after that, when that final whistle went, I just, just, I think that's probably one of the best memories I've got of football that moment, oh. because I just remember everyone looking up and everyone running onto the pitch, just like throwing their, their um, shirts around and just, yeah, oh. Oh, excellent. Um, it gives me goosebumps actually thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the semi-final was next. Um, unfortunately, it didn't go our way, but it must have been a game no, yeah. for you. Japan were the opposition. Yeah, so Japan, we kind of... The thing is, we went into every game not being scared of, of who, who the opposition were. Um, and I think that mindset is, is you know, what the, the girls need to take into this World Cup because at the time we weren't highly ranked. You know, we were kind of underdogs doing, you know, kind of ticking off opposition. Mm. And we faced Japan, who were ranked higher, I'm pretty sure they were at the time, yeah. And, you know, they've got a reputation for being fantastically skillful players, you know. They're they very good passing team. Yeah, I just remember the game. That, that was We then flew to Edmonton for that, I think. And, which was nothing like Vancouver at all. So it was kind of like you go from hotel to hotel and it, oh, that's how I remember it really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Japan, they really came at us first half and I gave away a penalty and I, do, I remember that for the rest of my life because me and Tony were on the side and I remember us, we were on that left side and I remember literally two seconds before Mark was on the side and he'd given me and hit Tony information and we carried that out and then because we kind of weren't, like not not focused but because we were trying to do that the penalty came from it because we were out of position right um and also it wasn't a penalty because it was outside of the box but I tried to slow myself down and my hands were on her back and it looked like 
and she as soon as she felt my hand she just dropped um, so what what do you say to the referee then no no what do you say to the referee when so i um i turned so as she went to the ground i kind of turned around like get up and i had my back to the referee and then all of a sudden i saw her kind of like reaching out into her pocket to give me a yellow card and i, I couldn't believe it because I, I knew it wasn't a foul and then i was like oh my god that's you're giving a penalty that's <laughs> you joking and i think it was just a sh- i didn't expect it and it shouldn't have been penalty. It was outside the box anyway, but um, we didn't have VAR then. No. Um, <laughs> thankfully, and I'll always thank Farrah for this, she went down the other end and scored a penalty. And I remember I think I kissed her on the head. I was like, thank you so much because, I that mean, was your get out yeah, that was my get out. Thanks for not letting me be the uh, <laughs> villain. <laughs> and unfortunately from then, obviously the, that deflection, that cruel deflection from, from Laura Bassett, um, yeah. which... I mean, I think, and, and it's even more frustrating because I think last kick of the game, I remember we had a chance and I can't remember who it was, but I remember they should have passed whoever it was. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that was, I mean, that was really hard to kind of recover from that game. And we had oh. like two or three days to play the third and fourth playoff and that, that was just difficult to get your head around. That third and fourth place was against Germany. Yeah. Um, you didn't play in that game, did you? No, so I picked up an injury as well. So my knee, so I've had a lot of ACL injuries, and then mm. the three D. I played like that was the fifth game in a row, and then pitches, and I just, I had um, my knees were swollen and stuff, so I couldn't um, couldn't play in that one. But so, do you um, feel the difference between the the three D yeah, pitches? Yeah, yeah, I do. I really do. It really affects right. my knees and stuff, so it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that third and fourth playoff, that was that's a bit, a bit of a blur that game because it was. We, it was so hard, really, really hard to kind of get over what happened against Japan because in our eyes, if we'd have played 10 minutes longer, we would have beaten them because we were mm. on top. So for the, to not be playing in the final when we should have been was really, really, really hard to take. But what M- Mark did really, really well, he literally just did his best to get us back focused. Yeah. And he gave us a day to kind of dwell on it and whatever. But as soon as the next day came, that was it. We were all about Germany and I can't even remember that game to be honest. It's all a blur. Do you still have your medal though? Or did you get a medal? Oh, of course. I've got my medal, of course. Yeah. (laughs) And my cowboy hat that we were all wearing. Oh yeah, I've seen the pictures. Yeah. All of our families went to, uh, up to Banff. Right. um, And they all came back with cowboy hats and uh, it was just a bit of a running joke. So when we we won that game, we all just ran and got them. (laughs) but yeah, I mean, beating Germany, what an achievement for not just the women, but just for the whole nation. Germany is always such a such a tough opposition, isn't it? Um, yes. And especially for them, they've dominated for years. So to beat them and, and to be as resilient re- resilient as we were in that game and for, for, for Laura Bassett to go and play that game as well and do so well, it kind of epitomises the strength of the team and what that team represented. You know, we weren't anything flash. We were just all heart and soul. Um, and that really shone through, I think. Um, and that's why we got that bronze medal. Excellent. And where do you see this summer and Phil Neville and his team? I think, you know, there's been a lot in the press about, you know, they want to become household names. They want to be winning, you know, serial winners. And yeah, they should be because, you know, as a natural progression, as we said, from 2011 quarterfinals, 2015 semifinals and, and then bronze medal. And then naturally in this World Cup, we're, we're, you know, we're expecting a, a final at least. And I think there's enough players, you know, who I think will be picked in that squad that will be able to share the experiences they've had and, and really lead the way. And I, I, have no doubt that they won't reach the final 
it's just who they're playing against. I don't know who. There's so mm. many different teams with different strengths, and it's all about your, the draw and and luck as well. It does play a massive part in it. Yeah. Well, we we shall wait with bated breath. I'm certainly looking Indeed. forward to it. <laughs> Claire, thank you very much for your time and sharing those memories with us. Oh, no worries. Take thank care. Thank you. Bye bye. Now, as I'm sure you saw recently, the Lionesses squad was announced to the public via social media. That squad in full is as follows. In goal, Karen Bardsley, Mary Eeps and Carly Telford. Defenders, Millie Bright, Lucy Bronze, Rachel Daly, Alex Greenwood, Steph Halton, Abby McManus, Demi Stokes and Leah Williamson. In midfield, Karen Carney, Jade Moore. Jill Scott, Lucy Staniforth, Georgia Stanway, Kira Walsh. And up front, Tony Duggan, Frank Kirby, Beth Mead, Nikita Paris, Jodie Taylor and Ellen White. And the girls' most recent warm-up games came against Denmark, where they won 2-0 and then went down by a goal to nil to New Zealand. And here to give his take on it is our England women's correspondent, Rich Laverty. Hi, Russell. Yep, good to be back on. Always happy to uh, chat about women's football. I'm glad to uh, glad to have you back on. It's not too far away now, is it? Excited? Yeah. We were talking about this the other day, actually. It just seems to have really snuck up. And When I went to the Euros two years ago, even though that was my first major tournament, it, it felt like it had been coming quite a while. With this one, it has just... I think there's been so much going on with the season... The Euros, we were going into it off the back of a spring series, so it was a little bit quiet. Um, this one, there's been a full season, a lot of friendlies, uh, much more media stuff to do. So, yeah, I can't quite believe it's this week, to be honest. But, um, yeah, definitely excited. Well, let's just cast our mind back a little bit. We are She Believes Winners. And then we've had, I say, these Road to France series of games. And the two most recent ones is the Denmark game, which which I saw the highlights of. And it, it seemed a bit sluggish. I don't know if that's the right term really for it. But I think it, Denmark were maybe a stronger opposition than we anticipated. Yeah, I think sluggish is probably a good way of putting it, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Denmark are not a bad team. Um, you know, they were in the Euro final two years ago. They... Had a difficult couple of years, managerial changes, they went on strike, actually lost points because one of their games didn't go ahead because they went on strike. So yeah, it's been a difficult few years, but they're still a good team. Um, I think England were quite sluggish for a number of reasons. You know, they had the the Marines in in the days before, they didn't have any sleep. Um, I think it was the Wednesday night before the match, they had a big, big media day on the Thursday, um, straight after it. And the pitch wasn't good either at Walsall. Um, it was a really poor pitch, a world away from what it was like at Brighton on Saturday for the New Zealand match. I think the two games, the most recent two games, are very difficult to judge. Potentially more worrying on Saturday because we weren't playing a top, top team. But we made many changes. We used, I think, pretty much all of the squad over the two games. But... Friendlies are always so hard to read. Um, I do think there are some issues with this team, 
performance-wise, they weren't bad. We just didn't put the ball in the back of the net, and that has probably been one of the issues in too many games under both Mark Sampson and Phil Neville. We just don't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, you you mentioned the squad there, and and we mentioned earlier in the podcast how it was announced to the public via social media. Are you are you happy with the squad? Um, I I noticed that Izzy Christiansen was probably one of the more high profile ones not to make it. Of course, Jordan Nobbs is still out injured. Uh, is there anyone else there that maybe was a little bit unfortunate to miss out? Yeah, I mean, there's a few, but. Squad selection is such a difficult thing. So much goes into it. You know, it's not as you speak to any manager, club, or country. It's not as simple as just putting the best twenty-three players out there. I think you know the ones that got called in kind of as soon as Phil took the job. They they've stayed in there, you know, because you earn the trust of your manager. They earn his trust. You know, he earns their trust, and you know. Fans see the 90 minutes when they're on the pitch, but, you know, these players are together every minute, every day. You know, they've been on camp for two weeks now, I think. Mm. They're going to France tomorrow, and obviously if they're out there for the duration, they'll be out there nearly five weeks. So you think, all told, that's seven weeks where they've been in each other's company every single day. And, you know, people sometimes get fed up about speaking about a group that's together and, having the team spirit and having the right personalities. But when you're together for seven weeks, you absolutely need that. So, yeah, there were players like Hannah Blundell, Beth England, Aoife Mannion, Sophie Bagley, who had all fantastic seasons. But sometimes it's right place, right time. And for those that got called in immediately under Phil, some of them are not playing as regularly now as they were, but they've, they've kept their places. Because either they have that trust, they're versatile, they're good squad players. They're good people to have around the camp. So, yeah, look, on a personal level, there might have been players I'd have had in there, but I completely understand all the choices. Um, Izzy was a difficult one because she didn't play a lot to the end of the season because of her injury. And it, it just, you know, talk about right place, right time. Izzy was wrong place, wrong time. I see. The first game is Scotland on the 9th of June in Nice. Would you be prepared to take a stab at what the starting eleven would be? Oh, I could have an idea. It's difficult. I mean, Phil has said he's kind of already picked his team for all three games, which is really interesting. I think he'll lean towards Karen Barsley in goal, perhaps for the experience in a big game like that. You know, it'd be a feisty game as well, I think. Back four, I think it'll be Lucy Bronze, Steph Horton, Millie Bright, possibly Alex Greenwood, just based on the fact Demi has a knock. I'm not sure how serious it is, but he has tend to favour Alex anyway. I think we'll see Jill, Scott and Kira Walsh in midfield, and I think we'll see probably Paris, Kirby, Mead behind Ellen White. That's probably what I'd go for anyway, whether it's what <laughs> Phil's going for, I'm not sure, but I, I, I'd lean towards that as a prediction. Well, we, we shall see. And I know in the past you've mentioned, I remember our last conversation, Frank Kirby was was a real dilemma for for, for you, the way you saw it, and for, for Phil Neville as well, and he's picking the team. Is it still the case? Um, it is. She's far from the only dilemma. Um, mm-hmm. It's not Fran personally or particularly. It's that role. It's the number yes. 10 role. And we've varied a little bit more recently than the last time we spoke between... 
the four two three one and the four three three. And I think, you know, four two three one, it's a bit more attacking because you've got that number ten in there. So you're almost playing with four attackers and they link up with the striker and you know, you get a bit more of an attacking threat. But in a four three three, I think you get a bit more balance. You get a bit more defensive solidity, which I think in many games England have lacked. So there's a real fine balance between which one you go for. I think it's an Argentina. You could go for the four-two-three-one and sort of say, "Well, we're going to be on top most of the game, like we did against New Zealand," and just go for it. You know, get as many attackers up the field as you can. I think against a Japan, for example, who are going to pass the ball around, wear you out. You know, it'd be hot as well in Nice when that game takes place. I think you need the defensive stability. I think you need a three-person midfield. So if the players can play both systems, then great. I think it's it's a good variety to have, but it's not so much a Kirby dilemma. It's just I haven't seen enough from England to suggest having a number 10 is necessarily the best thing for the team. Right. No, I see what you mean. Well, so that Argentina game is on the 14th of June in, in Le Havre and then Japan 19th of June back down in Nice. So we start in Nice, up to Le Havre and back down to Nice. There is a, uh, a lot of travelling for the team, a lot of travelling for your, for yourself and the supporters as well. Mm. Is that going to affect them? Where is the base as well? Yeah, they don't really have, they're just moving around. So oh, okay. as soon as the game's finished, they'll go to Le Havre. As soon as the Argentina game's done, they'll be back to Nice. I don't know. I, I don't know how they're travelling. Um, you can't, Le Havre doesn't have an airport. So I guess they'll probably be flying to Paris. And then the coach will probably pick them up there and drive them up to... They're actually not staying in La Havre. They're staying in a, a town nearby La Havre. And I think actually when they come back to Nice, they're staying in Cannes, which is about an hour away. So that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> makes our lives a little bit more uh, entertaining <laughs> in terms of travelling around. I don't know, because the first game, they are staying in Nice. But when they come back, they've been put somewhere completely different. So that'll be uh, fun. But yes, yeah, a lot of travelling. Will it affect them? I doubt it. I think, you know, that they'll have all the luxuries and whatnot. Mm. It might affect our journalism more than it affects them. Because we'll yeah. be on the we'll be on the cheap flights or the trains or people will be driving length and breadth of the country. So um, but yeah, we can't complain. It's a great job. Yeah. Um it's an honour to go out there and, and follow them. Yeah, I don't think it'll I think the the heat might, but you know, we asked Lucy Bronze about that the other day actually, about the heat in Nice particularly, because it's gonna be very hot for the first match. And as she rightly pointed out, you know, Scotland won't be any more adapted to that than England. So, yeah, Japan might be a bit more tricky. You know, back in Nice, I think it'd be hot again. And they are a team that like to pass you to death. So I think um, that will be probably a bit trickier in terms of conditions. Yeah. And I see, obviously, why you mentioned Lucy Bronze, because she does play in France for Lyon. So it's going to be one of the ones with the uh, the experience of, of mm. what the weather will will be like um, and it's something I guess that that Nikita Paris can get used to as well she's just recently joined them can we get through this group oh we should get through yeah absolutely where we finish who knows I mean four of the groups three teams will go through I think probably the three top teams in our group all have a chance because I think if you probably get three points you know you, you probably will be okay in terms of being one of the third-place teams, whereas the other groups where it's a bit more split between the four teams and maybe some more points are dropped, they might not hit that three-point marker, whereas in ours, 
all three of those teams, England, Japan, Scotland, should realistically be in Argentina. So I think, yeah, if England went out in the group, it would be an absolute catastrophe. Like, it's not even imaginable that England could go out in the group. But winning the group will be important. And there's no guarantee you can win it because you're in there with a very good Scotland team and a team that's been in the last two World Cup finals. I think if you win it, you're probably looking maybe at Spain, somewhere like that in the second round. Uh, which would be tough, you know, we had a tough game against them last month, but if you come second, you are almost guaranteed Canada or the Netherlands. And we lost to Canada last month, we lost to the Netherlands at the Euros heavily, and they played Australia off the park at the weekend. So if you come second, either way, you are walking into a second round match where you've got every chance of going home early. So winning the group is going to be crucial. I think it's going to be a fascinating group. I think the game's are going to be great. You could say England will come first and you wouldn't be surprised. You could say they'd come third and you wouldn't be surprised. So I think the two matches in Nice against Scotland and Japan are going to be absolutely fantastic. We're going to look forward to it. I'm not going to ask you uh, yet whether we can win it. Maybe we can catch up with you after the group games and see where the land lies there. No problem. Well, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. I am... Looking forward to this tournament, uh, interested as I have been with the the previous tournaments as well, and really hoping that obviously we can uh, that we can do well. Rich, we shall speak again. Thanks very much. There we have it. Thank you very much for Rich Laverty for his time there. And also thank you very much to Gillian Coulthard for her time, Mary Phillips and Claire Rafferty. And most importantly, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Looking very much forward to the Women's World Cup. Good luck to the Lionesses. And as I say, hopefully we can catch up with Rich after the group stages. As always, please do subscribe at your podcast provider. Please leave a kind review. You can find us on Twitter at Three Lions Podcast. Search also on Facebook and threelionspodcast.com. And don't forget that website, englandlionesses.co.uk. We can go back and search for all the England women's results from 1972. So it just leaves me to say good luck to Philip Neville and all the girls in this year's tournament. Let's go one step further and bring it home. Until the next time. Cheers. Cheers.